Welcome to In Discussion and the Heroes series with creator Dr. Susan Anthony. She was recently quoted, we need another hero generation. And she has a powerful idea for many of the interviews where she underpins the questions in her series with the archetypal themes of finding the hero within. After all, this is what her work is all about. She has invited people onto the hero series with her because they have had the courage to make the sacrifices and take risks necessary to inspire the listenership to look inside and find their best selves and to do something to make our world a better place. Our special guest today, Dr. Brian O'Leary, is a scientist philosopher with 50 years of experience in academic research, teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was also a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program, the first to be selected for a planned Mars mission and participated in unmanned planetary missions as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, he's been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of nonprofits, an advisor to progressive US Congress members and presidential candidates. In his latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, he describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression and their logical necessity for our survival. Zero point, vacuum energy, cold fusion and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could provide us all an abundant future for all of humanity. In 2004, he and his wife, the artist Meredith Miller, moved to the Andes in Ecuador, where they co-created Montesuenas, an eco-retreat and educational center dedicated to creativity and the rights of nature. Dr. Brian O'Leary joins Dr. Susan Anthony on the Hero Series. Welcome back to the Hero Series with Dr. Susie Anthony and our special guest, Dr. Brian O'Leary to complete Dr. Brian O'Leary's journey today. Brian, welcome to you. Susie, welcome. Thank you, and uh, good, good to be on again. Yes, it is. I'm so looking forward to this. I think these are going to be the most memorable last three steps so far. We are at the level 10, the road back, and this is where the hero must return to the ordinary world. And the hero is not out of the woods yet. And this is the part of the journey where the hero begins to deal with the consequences of confronting the dark forces of the supreme ordeal. And if the hero has not yet managed to heal and transcend childhood wounding, hasn't yet truly overcome the illusion of separation from his or her divine nature, or hasn't fully overcome or forgiven the hostile forces along the way, these forces of imbalance may come raging after the hero. And this stage also marks the decision to return to the ordinary world. But there are still dangers, temptations and tests ahead. Brian, between 1998 and 2001, you experienced lots of travel, speaking, adventure and two lengthy stays in, guess where, Glastonbury, where you are, Susie, with many odds and transcendent experiences how do you remember those looking back well i i would say it would be like the culmination of my metaphysical journeying years it wasn't quite going back to the ordinary world 
uh, I, I find myself now uh, almost thoroughly immersed in the ordinary world, but still on, on this incredible journey. But uh, in those years in Glastonbury, it was unbelievable. I, I uh, well, I, I can just tell you quickly a couple of my experiences. One of them was I was speaking at a crop circle conference, conference in downtown Glastonbury, right in the, um, it was the, um, Oh, I forget what it was. It was one of the Gothic halls. It was across the street from the jail there. And I uh, had chills up and down my spine. Uh, as I was speaking, almost, uh, I, I managed to get through my uh, my speech, but I had a, a spontaneous memory of an alleged former life of being in shackles. And right around that time, I also spontaneously came out with a rash, uh, multiple rashes, on my uh, forearms, in my crotch area, my neck, and my uh, lower legs, which is, of course, exactly where one is attached by shackles. And um, whenever I left Glastonbury, and I, I would be on doing lecture tours with some of my colleagues, and whenever I left, the, uh, the rashes would go away. I'd come back, and they'd come back. Uh, I, I tried medical treatment. That didn't work. Uh, and then when I finally left Glastonbury about three months later, the uh, rashes disappeared again. That was just one of many, many bizarre experiences. We were staying, uh, Meredith and I, in a colleague's house that was made of the bricks of the original uh, Glastonbury Abbey, which, of course, uh, where uh, the abbot had been drawn and quartered um, up the tour. And uh, there, there were many weird things that happened there, too. The, my host became almost literally reptilian. It was unbelievable, it was almost like he was shape-shifting. There were all these bizarre experiences which I had never had before. I didn't bargain for them. Uh, two old girlfriends from out of nowhere showed up, uh, and many other old friends as well. One of the uh, bed and breakfast places, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was uh, a, a room where the hangman during the Pitchfork Rebellion back in the 1700s uh, had uh, um, <clears throat> apparently been um, slashed to bits by a sword. And one night I was there with a former girlfriend, and we had the biggest altercation, the biggest fight. Uh, actually, it led to our breakup. Uh, all night long in that room. So the room, because of that experience and many other people's experience, was left, um, uh, was, was walled off from the use by anybody, the hangman's room. But then some friends of ours and we did a, um, basically a ceremony to, uh, to evict the uh, spirits. And indeed, uh, the room is now uh, normally used again. But I, I tell you, I tell you, Susie, Glastonbury uh, for me was an extraordinary place where the veil is very thin. After you just described that, Brian, I'm picturing Susie, hands in the air, running down a country lane as quickly as possible out of Glastonbury. Hopefully you're still with us, Susie. I'm just wondering what your bad experiences were like, Brian. It's an extraordinary place. Yes, yes. It, it was just a, 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 an un, how should I say it, not uh, invited, but uh, it was um, curious. And uh, 
fortunately, uh, you know, we had the fortitude to get through that. Actually, we uh, had a rather good time and had a lot of good uh, productive sessions and workshops and many things. But meanwhile, these extraordinary things happened. <laughs> Susie, Glastonbury is definitely a very sacred place, is it not? It definitely is. You know, my mother died on Valentine's Day this year. And as a tribute, we bought and planted just a mass of spring flowers for her, which she loved. And then, of course, it hit minus eight. And before this weather uh, came in, we listened to the forecast. And we did a little ceremony here. And we asked that the frost not touch these flowers, the tribute to my mother. And guess what? When we woke up in the morning, this morning, the frost was really, really thick, white frost everywhere, except on these flowers. So, truly amazing things happen here. Brian, between 2002-2004, you and your partner, Mayor, experienced the deaths of your mothers. And subsequently, using a modest inheritance, you moved to Ecuador, obviously grieving very deeply. You said previously in the program for Mother Earth, along with your own mothers, and this, by the way, is something that Susie is now experiencing now that she has passed away, battling with that as much as you were then. She feels that she's helping to heal archetypal feminine wounding. And that's something I'd love you to talk to, Susie. She feels that this has triggered even deeper levels of environmental consciousness, something you say that you felt, Brian, the reward of all this dealt with appropriately. And Susie suggests is a heightened sense of personal and planetary compassion, which you'd probably agree with, and which for you led to the publication of your book, Reinheriting the Earth. Brian, Susie suggests that the vital wisdom of this part of the hero's journey is if the hero has not yet managed to confront denials, heal and transcend childhood wounding, hasn't yet truly overcome the illusion of separation from his or her divine nature, or indeed hasn't fully overcome or forgiven the hostile forces along the way, that these forces of imbalance may come raging after the hero. Is that something that you would resonate and agree with? Well, yes. I, I mean, in my case, I would say that happened more than once. Um, there, there, there were several um, times when, when I thought I was on the right track and then I'd be uh, uh, slammed back uh, in, into humbleness. Uh, I, around that time, prior to moving to Ecuador... Uh, it was becoming clearer and clearer to me that uh, the, the work I was doing was perceived as, as being highly dangerous and, and not definitely not mainstream, that uh, the quest for developing clean breakthrough energy and, and other breakthrough solutions uh, has been violently suppressed. People have been assassinated. It almost happened to me once during the 1990s. And so uh, when I started to form new groups to attempt to nevertheless pursue this course of new energy, my closest colleague, Eugene Maloff, and that was in uh, 2004, was violently murdered. 
uh, and I, he was going to keynote a conference I was hosting, which then I ended up keynoting. And at that point, we moved very swiftly to Ecuador, uh, which actually turned out to be uh, one of the most blessed experiences uh, that we both have ever had was to come here and create this this magnificent retreat center we call Moda Sueños in the uh, Andes of Ecuador. So uh, what it what it was for me, I think, David and Susie is is that around that time I I had some things to complete and in the U.S. and um, they're now pretty complete and this created the space for us then to actually live lives of of, of positive magic, which is what this place is all about. And we have guests coming here from all over the world, and they, they likewise have had uh, extraordinary experiences uh, and living very close to nature and feeling the compassion for nature, of feeling the divine feminine uh, uh, all around us every day, all the time including the birds that are chirping right now uh, before they're going to bed. <laughs> Susie, can you talk to that failure to tackle psychological blocks? I'm very interested in this also about our childhood and where all this wounding comes from. In broad terms, um, before human beings began to have an impact on the environment, I'm just really following on from what Brian just said, Earth's biological and physical systems interacted in a totally coherent and sustainable way. Yet, as we lost our connection to nature and the natural rhythms of the planet and cycles, that coherence and order was disrupted and really at an alarming, escalating rate as humans, especially now, still continue to exploit and destroy the environmental and physical resources of the planet. So the coherence of the ecosystem we inhabit, the hierarchy of life force energies that maintain the health of the whole, have been gravely disrupted. And these disruptions threaten the very future health not only of our global ecosystem, but our own health. I have talked extensively on the importance of completing our shadow work and how shamanic psychological recapitulation is key to this. That also all this external planetary challenge and shadow, if you like, are merely mirroring to us all what we all need to work on inside of ourselves. For me personally, I can only speak from my own personal experiences and I'm no expert, but through practicing the same psychological and spiritual disciplines daily, I've become simultaneously powerful enough to take action to embody and create whatever I discover my higher purpose to be. And surely in these times of... of this new age of super crises emerging, our collective higher purpose is to clean up the mess we've made from living in separation from the hero and in denial of our hero selves. Then it's putting into action of our higher purpose 
that gives our lives, lends our lives much greater meaning. And we feel a massive increase in, in self-love and self-worth and self-esteem. Um, we become much more powerful and everyone benefits. It's win-win. But unfortunately, in ego, in ignorance, in separation from the hero, we've all compromised based on childhood wounding where we've received messages that we're not good enough or if we are good enough, we're encouraged in the wrong directions to pursue fame and fortune at any cost. Perhaps we never identify with our bliss as a result and we live our lives in some kind of self-created hell and it's kind of like that Star Trek story where they end up in the void competing, judging, attacking, each trying to control each other and just how many people do you know have settled for the approximate, the not quite, just to pay the bill, saying that, oh, you know, when I retire or when I have the money, I'll do whatever it is I love. But that's the anti-hero's journey because ultimately we're too old, too wounded, too disheartened, too despairing and too sick. And we've, we're all of those things in limiting false beliefs stuck in denial yeah. of our wound. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It's so vitally important that we get this message out there to people to find the hero, to find the courage, the humility, the willingness to follow our bliss and to do this without focusing on the reward. And this is what Dr. Irvin Dardick did. Jude Caravan did it, John Perkins did it, Jeffrey Wigand did it, Brian has certainly done it, I've done it and I know you're doing it David. We have opened ourselves up to the unknown, to a place where all potentialities exist and that's the place where connected to the hero we finally accept that it's safe to surrender ourselves to our divine nature the hero inside and that's where magic and miracles exist Susie just before I ask Brian this I would love to though just pursue that Brian had talked about the divine feminine he had become so concerned about mother earth and in my world in my life with this work I see that divine feminine and that connection and that synchronicity with Mother Earth as being absolutely vital in waking people up. Could you talk to that very briefly? Well, how do you wake it up? I can certainly talk to that. We can certainly talk to what happens when it isn't awakened because we've all seen the, the mess that we've created in that yang imbalanced state. And... What I found is the simplest way to reawaken the, the feminine, the right hand, right side of the brain, which controls the left hand side of the body, is through attunement to Reiki or any kind of life force energy mastery discipline. Um, but Reiki is certainly one of the most powerful and probably the most prolific now on the planet, where simply through attuning 
to these energies, being attuned by a master, someone who has already plugged into this coherent state and has remembered the connection to the divine feminine. And this person, through a very simple ceremony, which takes maybe three minutes to pass the attunement, but perhaps 30 years to learn everything you need to learn. And the learning comes from within. It doesn't come from any master. The master just opens you up, plugs you in, rebalances the left and right brain hemispheres, gives you some simple practices. And as you practice these daily, your state becomes coherent. And it's not a question of, ah, well, now we're going to have a matriarchal society where the feminine rules. It's a balanced um, society where the feminine guides the male and the male supports that guidance. Talking about that yin and yang. Susie, I'm going to, Brian, I'm going to continue on the stage 11. And then uh, perhaps, Brian, if you'd like to feel free to talk to that Divine Feminine and that Mother Earth pain that you went through, if you wish. But we reach stage 11, the Resurrection Hero. And this is the final test where the hero faces death and he or she has to use everything that they've learned to survive. And in ancient times, hunters and warriors had to be purified before they returned to their communities because they had blood on their hands and the hero has been to the realm of the dead must now be reborn and cleansed in one last ordeal of death and resurrection before returning to the ordinary world of the living and this is often a second life and death moment almost a replay of the death and rebirth of the supreme ordeal and this is the part in the hero's journey where death and darkness, all the forces of imbalance that you had just talked to, Susie, get in one last desperate shot before being finally defeated. It's a kind of final graduation for the hero who must be tested once more to see if he or she has really learned the lessons of the supreme ordeal. And in Brian's case, in 2008, Brian, you established Montesuenas, your conference and bed and breakfast center, which is a co-creation full of miracles. There's that word again, miracles. You finally were able to quit alcohol and you became more and more passionate and expressive about the possibility of free energy and saving the rainforest through innovation. And then later in 2010, through your stage 11 testing, surely your biggest life or death crisis comes in the form of a heart attack. And you shared with Susie that you now feel you've made a conscious choice to live in good health rather than be medicated or die. Getting better and clearer in your purpose to serve and to create sustainability on earth. And Susie, your own stage 11 testing also came in the form of a sudden onset mystery lung disease in your case and in your own hero's journey you described beautifully how you took responsibility for your own co-creative input in this and ultimately you found your gift from being able to detach from all the loss and suffering but first you had to tackle any final shadow aspects that you needed to refine brian 
what was the gift of your heart attack? What a strange way to put it, but this final life or death supreme ordeal, what was that gift? Well, David, the gift really was was my making the conscious decision to live rather than die. It really came down to uh, something that simple. Um, I, if, if my choice were to die, then I just kind of let the thing slide and you know, maybe I'd go and have a bypass operation, and then I'd live maybe physically a little longer, perhaps, I don't know. But I decided that instead of going the mainstream medical route um, and taking uh, the $370 worth of prescriptions they prescribed uh, for me to take home with me from the hospital, uh, I was in intensive care for about three days, uh, I instead uh, uh, took none of the prescriptions and decided to go on a total health and uh, health uh, kick, uh, diet, steam baths, uh, supplements, uh, exercise, do everything I could to optimize my chance to live. And while I was doing that, I was also working on an extremely important speech, which was supposed to have been given at the UN. It was, um, the venue was changed the last minute, but it's up on the website now where I, 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 I kind of describe, uh, because at this point, even though I had made the decision to live, uh, uh, this was still just like two or three weeks after the heart attack, and I was getting uh, reacquainted with the new me, um, I, I was really passionate in my expression, saying, I'm, I'm giving this talk as if it were my last. Uh, and I began to realize that, hey, uh, you're getting near the end of life, um, this life, uh, at age 71, and uh, this is it. Uh, either you go for it or you don't. And so making the conscious decision to go for it has, has been its own wonderful reward. And now it seems like there are more and more opportunities to um, express. Uh, I've been working now for 30, 40 years on, on an expression on how desperately important it is for us to develop uh, breakthrough clean energy and other new technologies. And even though I, I stand virtually alone in expressing that and expressing how we might be able to do that, uh, I, I, I now have the energy to do it and to want to do it for as long as I'm still in this body. And I know I'm protected. I say the mantra quite often, especially when I travel. Uh, that uh, I'm, I'm here to do this out of compassion and service to others. Uh, I'm not in this for the money. Uh, yes, it's nice to have airfares paid for now and then to go somewhere and give a talk, but that's about it. <laughs> Susie, love you to talk about dealing with personal tragedy. That's basically it. Um, so I, I'm just really glad I'm on the other side of that. And I, I see that, in, in fact, I'm more and more um, able to, uh, to be effective in, in what I'm doing. Susie. Well, I'm going to comment on dealing. You know, the gifts for me were about dealing with personal tragedy effectively and honestly, honestly, um, with transparency, with no resistance to what is as key to surviving um, this new age of collective super crises. And I truly believe the collective stage 11 is definitely here 
and now. And the gift of all of this is that the idea that our world needs healing or fixing is now more vital than ever. We have entered an age of super crisis. There can be no doubt. And these include probably starting the Tylenol poisonings round about in 1982, then 9-11, then Katrina, the BP spill in the Gulf, and the latest toxic sludge in Hungary, which I believe is more toxic and larger than the Gulf spill, I've been given to understand. So crises have the potential to destroy entire industries, bringing down governments perhaps, and could even destroy the globe. Not only are they bigger, costlier, and deadlier today than ever before, but they come at us faster and faster, and I dare say faster than ever in the quickening prophesized by the Mayans with relevance to 2012. And as BP and the Hungarian disasters demonstrate all too well, Reacting after a crisis has occurred is not good enough. It's not sufficient. If one is not well prepared before, then reacting only fails to contain the initial crisis. It actually makes it worse. And the, the good news is that there do exist, and I've done some research on this, model companies that not only wish to do the right things to protect the environment, but have actually learned what to do in order to substantially lower the chances of producing super crises. So, in short, they're learning their lessons of the supreme ordeal of all these other disasters. They've learned how to be prepared for a wide range of super crises. And this, incidentally, is how the hero lives, being prepared for the worst but expecting the best. Brian, your thoughts on that super crisis? I know that we're working very hard to actually activate on Susie's very smart principle of being prepared and being preventative rather than having to take care of these dreadful disasters after they've occurred. But how do you see this super crisis occurring now? Well, I absolutely, I agree. We are in a time of super crisis and they're accelerating all the time. For every BP oil spill, there are there are, are dozens of other tragedies taking place. The one right here in Ecuador, which was even bigger than the BP oil spill uh, that happened in the 1970s. And uh, the, the, uh, a good part of the Amazon jungle is um, totally ruined by toxic waste and uh, effluents in the Amazon River. Uh, the, the disasters happened at a very rapid clip. And uh, so my approach to this is that, yes, we can prevent that from happening in the future by taking a quantum leap into a whole new era of energy generation, water purification, uh, truly sustainable agriculture, uh, waste management that's truly sustainable. Uh, there are so many solutions out there. And so what I'd like to see happen are protected research and development centers throughout the world that allow us to move forward with these solutions uh, without the suppression that's been going on for so long by the powerful vested interests. We complete your journey at stage 12. 
Return with the Elixir is the final reward on the hero's journey. And the hero returns from the journey with the Elixir and uses it to help everyone in the ordinary world or to heal a wounded land. And the hero has been resurrected, purified, and has earned the right to be accepted back into the ordinary world to share his or her gift. Brian, from Susie's notes, you say that you have returned from your metaphysical adventures and trips back to the ordinary life, as it might appear to others. This you have done, you say, because you desire to be able to relate with others as a normal person, not some sort of guru. It would seem to me from reading Susie's notes that you are something of a reluctant hero, but you are something of a reluctant hero, hardly liking to consider yourself as a hero. But I have a feeling meeting Susie Anthony is possibly changing all of that. Brian, slowly, it has for me because you start to accept it and be proud of it and act on it. You say that you sincerely hope you can help others, particularly younger generations, and this is something Susie and I both share with you, and that's why we continue with the Hero series and hope someone will see the vital importance of this work and sponsor it. And I'm sure that they will, and we will set our minds to that. So, Brian, as you had remarked upon earlier, at the age of 71, you have shared with Susie that you feel you are nearing the end, at least, in this current lifetime, but not too near, hopefully. And like Susie's, who's recovering from her own health issues and recently the passing of her own mother, how do you cope with the fact that death may be stalking you. I know that Susie has learned to leave each day, each moment, as if it's the last and to make it count. I certainly resonate with that now. Coming from love and being in her own passion about her mission, external work and her process, and her inner work and so important. Do you agree with this philosophy, Brian, and also... You do share that of all, all the preparation work you've undertaken to create who you are now and who you are becoming, which you admit you rather like, do you in fact, at the end of this program, feel ready and prepared to deal with what's coming? Uh, what Susie describes as this new age of super crisis. And what's the antidote to all this toxicity on all the levels? Wow. Well, I would say yes. Um, uh, to call myself a hero uh, is is maybe a bit much, just because of my a sense of humility about what I'm trying to do. And it seems like humility is is one of the a aspects of approaching a problem that's so grave and where so few people seem to be aware of the possibilities that lie ahead. So my my credo at this point is that. Having gotten uh, this far and having had all of these experiences, death experiences, rebirth experiences, metaphysical experiences, as well as my own learning uh, in, in the field of energy especially, that, uh, that I'm now able to finally synthesize things to be able to express what we really need to do. We need uh, new governance systems. We've discussed that one. And uh, that I'm just totally dedicated to that. And fortunately, I'm in a position now 
where I'm feeling healthy, I'm feeling vital, um, I'm living life to its fullest, um, and I'm up for just about anything. And I'm also um, not that uh, fearful of death, uh, having encountered it a few times in my life, uh, that it's more like a great adventure and that I'm just living it to its fullest and giving it to its fullest. So it's a great place to be. I, I like where I am now. That's just beautiful. And I see beauty as an antidote to all this toxicity. You know, when Alan Shepard, commander of Apollo 14, saw the Earth from space, a blue-green jewel hanging in an immense moonlit field, he surprised himself, I heard. He cried. And he said, if someone had ever said before the flight, are you going to get carried away looking at the Earth from the moon? I would have said, no, no way. But yet when he took that first look back at the Earth standing on the moon, he cried. And Al Gore pointed out the same scenario and that perhaps hundreds of thousands, millions of people were likewise so overwhelmed by these first photographs of Earth from space that a global ecological movement arose almost instantly, kindled by the sheer beauty of the planet. Then about 30 years later, an oil rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico, precipitated by the unexpected violent force of deep earth oil, wildly uncapped, 5,000 feet below. Kind of like a heart attack, Brian. In duration and effect, Deepwater Horizon is akin to Chernobyl and Bhopal, an accident disruptive to all life systems and which may take hundreds of years to clear. Yet, there's still beauty there, I'm told, on that Gulf Coast. So if we wish to restore and care for ourselves and our world, we could do well to focus on beauty and creating beauty and seeing beauty in everyone and everything. And one of my favorite Egyptian characters, the often called heretic, the pharaoh Akhenaten, strictly forbade the retouching of royal art and sculptures and insisted on being shown as he was. And just Google the friezes of Akhenaten with his chief queen Nefertiti and three of their six daughters. It's almost the only example in Egyptian art of a pharaoh depicted in such a totally informal formal contact. And friezes and paintings from this period are very, very different in spirit from what came before and after. And... Strangest of all, they show a pharaoh, Akhenaten, who is no remote ideal, with his elongated skull, saggy abdomen, and in a number of statues, breasts. I mean, imagine if Hollywood espoused this incredible ideal. We'd all feel a lot more beautiful in the twinkling of an ordinary eye. And perhaps that joy would heal us and our world. But instead, we're bombarded with all kinds of ideals, impossible unnatural ideals of beauty that no ordinary person can live up to without a surgeon's knife. And Joseph Campbell summed up this cult fascination with eternal youth. He said it was because when people had no higher purpose or higher meaning in life, 
they had to distract themselves with all kinds of obsessions. And this was just one, a favorite one. So what I'm talking about is Buddha's um, quote, if you're respectful by habit, constantly honoring the worthy, four things increase, long life, beauty, happiness, and strength. And this is the credo the hero lives combined with the concepts of the Japanese path known as Bushido, the way of the warrior. The beauty of the hero is that in his heart or hers, he or she is here to help others. Yet this person is no doormat or people pleaser. They have strong values. They know how to create their own reality through applying all the wisdoms of the special world. Yet their whole life is about service. And that for me is beautiful. And Brian and David, thank you for surrounding me with your beauty. It is such a pleasure, Susie. As we complete this amazing journey with you, Brian, that I, and I'm sure that Susie will agree, will never forget for a very long time as we build upon our hero series. We'll just, in the last one minute, allow you, Brian, to talk about the beauty that you're surrounded in in the Andes, despite all the despair and the destruction that has taken place, but yet it can still remain, it can still be there, uh, as Mother Earth reminding us that we can certainly repair Mother Earth as much as we can repair ourselves. Well, sure, David. Um, the, this place that uh, Meredith and I created, co-created, and by the way, she's an artist, and uh, she uh, surrounds herself with beauty all the time. And we started out with a tiny one-room cottage, and then just through one miracle after another, we have a, now a, a total retreat center where we can accommodate up to 20, 25 people. We have think tanks, workshops, all kinds of things going on here. And it's a mom-and-pop operation, and it's magic. I mean, this this is our reward. It's our personal reward, but it's also a great reward to share it with others. And so far, we've had two or three hundred guests. We've had some conferences with up to a hundred people, and uh, every time it's been enormously stimulating. It's it, it's it's our reward. Both of us are just so happy here to be doing this work, and it's not stopping. We're we're we keep building. So we hope. Uh, that both of you can come and visit sometime, or some of your listeners. We we just we're just so proud and happy about this, and I'm I'm sure it's going to be our our one of our greatest legacies. Dr. Brian O'Leary, it has been an enormous pleasure to spend this four-part series with you on the Hero series. I certainly want to thank you myself, and I know that Susie will resonate with me that this has been a wonderful adventure and journey. Thank you both. It has, and you've been very courageous in your sharing. Thank you so much. And to our listeners today, I do hope that you enjoyed this four-part program on our special guest, Dr. Brian O'Leary. You can gain information on the Hero Series at theheroseries.com. 
Don't forget in discussion where you can gain information on all of the programs at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, from Dr. Susie Anthony and myself, we wish you a wonderful world. And wherever you are, stay safe. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.